Hi, I'm Dr. Frankie and welcome to Vision of Health, the podcast where I talk to qualified experts about what being healthy really looks like. Through our conversations, we'll bridge the gap between the scientific evidence base and you, the everyday person who just wants to live a healthier lifestyle. I am very much on a mission to provide evidence-based educational content and practical tips that you can actually implement in your everyday lives. Our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh, who have supported me for a number of years now, share the same vision, to open up conversations on taboo subjects, to bust the health myths and improve women's health. FemFresh are not only industry leaders in women's intimate hygiene products, but also committed on educating on all things women's health. And this podcast just wouldn't be possible without their support. But you can also catch on socials at femfresh underscore UK and on their website, femfresh.co.uk. I'm Dr. Frankie, and this is my vision of health. I am so excited for you to listen to our next guest, Emily English. She is a qualified BSc nutritionist with a degree from the very prestigious King's College London. She has a real love of food and her ethos is to marry the science of nutrition with the joy of eating. And that really comes across. Spending her childhood summers in her granny's restaurant kitchen and her school terms in the chemistry lab, she grew really curious about what was on her plate and what was happening in her body. And it wasn't until her own relationship with food suffered during a period working in the modelling industry that Emily decided to pursue her academic career, really learn about nutrition and take a different path. Using her seriously impressive knowledge of nutrition and her very evident love of food, she has taken social media by storm. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's someone that I absolutely love following. And she creates some seriously delicious recipes that are not only nutritionally balanced, but food you actually want to eat. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I mentioned in the intro, you have quite literally taken the world by storm. You are absolutely smashing it. And it's because you're so relatable to people. And like I said, creating recipes of food people actually want to eat. Can you tell me a bit about your journey of how you got to where you are? So I actually say my whole life changed over a cheese roll. And giving a little bit of context to that. I come from a family who love food. Food was our life. My granny was a chef. I used to work in her kitchen on Sundays from the age of 15, prepping all of the starters, peeling all the potatoes. And I used to just see her in action and be in awe. Awe for the flavor of the food, but also the way that she made people feel through that medium of food. At school, I was obsessed with science. Proper science buff. Me too. I loved chemistry, loved biology. Anything that I could understand about the way things worked, I was in for. And coming from a family who loved food, I was never actually exposed to any form of diet culture. So my mum never did any sort of like Weight Watchers or what's one that you count the points? Oh, um, Slimming uh, World. Slimming World, yeah. So she, she, no one did that. So... I was lucky that I was very protected in that way and I had a lot of food freedom, but also we ate really well. Like we ate loads of vegetables. My mum cooked everything from scratch, from fresh. And then at the age of 17, I was at V Festival 
And I got scouted from ASOS to be one of their in-house models. Unsurprising. Oh, no, no. At, at the time, it was like the best thing that could ever happen to a 17-year-old girl. And I was so excited and I loved my time at ASOS. They were wonderful. They took care of me. They showed me the ropes. And like, I really enjoyed it. But I started to be exposed to eating habits and restrictions and rules and regulations that people were putting into place. So I'd be sitting in the, the lunch canteen having a cheese and ham panini and someone next to me will be having an undressed salad with a bit of salmon in, with nothing else. And they would judge me and they would start to make comments being like, oh my God, I can't believe that you eat that and you stay so skinny. Bear in mind, I'm a 17 year old active girl and I've always been petite, but it just started to become like a little bit more common that people will comment on what I was eating. And from the age of 17 to 18, you grow up a lot. I started to become a woman. I started to get bigger. I started to fill out. And around that time, I actually got a modeling agency. So this is a professional modeling agency who were kind of out in the real world, not that ASOS bubble anymore. And I remember having the best summer of my life. I went traveling for the first time. I went to America. I had this whole list of all these restaurants and foods that I wanted to try and eat. And I ate it. I had a great time without any guilt or body analysis. And I came back and I did my Polaroids with that agency. And they sat me down after taking these pictures with me and basically turned around and said, your thighs are too big. Like we need to do something about this. And I don't know what it was in my mind, but it was like a, a switch went off and I suddenly thought that food was the enemy. And it became this whole host of, I can't do this, I can't eat that, I shouldn't do this. Someone who was really, really good at science didn't have a clue about nutrition. And that is what blows my mind. I didn't learn a single thing in food tech at school to teach me how to make meals other than a cupcake. <laughs> I didn't learn a single thing in biology about the food on our plate and how that translates to nutrition and our bodies. And I ended up developing this horrific eating disorder that had a hold over me. And I remember, it comes back to the cheese roll now, because I remember my mum making me, making everyone a cheese roll. And it was a lovely little seeded wholemeal bat sharp cheddar cheese, fresh tomatoes, like a, a little bit of olive oil, loads of salad, cracker black pepper and salt. She put it down in front of me and she was like, please, Emily, can you just eat the roll? And I had that breakdown moment where I remember collapsing onto my kitchen floor being like, mum, I don't know why, but I can't eat this roll. And it's destroying me. The anxiety, the pressure, the body dysmorphia, the confusion around food, boiled down to that one moment and that's where my life changed and I left the modeling industry. I didn't go to uni straight away. So I took a year out just to, to do the modeling. And that's why I was like, no, I need to go to university now. And I know what I want to study and I want to study nutrition because I had this whole hole of knowledge that I wanted to get to the bottom of and truly understand, okay, what's the deal with this nutrition stuff? Wow, amazing. Thanks for sharing that. It's super personal. I think one thing that's really evident from what you said there is, you know, you mentioned your family and the love of food and your granny being a chef. And then that's one identity, isn't it? Someone who loves food, someone who's into cooking. And then your identity almost changed into being a model and then you're not supposed to eat these things. And I think that's 
something that's really important when we think about changing our habits. When you want to change a habit and implement a habit, you need to change your identity. And I think when it comes to nutrition and diet, it's difficult because, you know, we have the clean eating identity and then we had veganism and now people are getting really obsessed with glucose monitoring or, you know, people take their identities of food really seriously. What would you say to someone who is struggling and wants to change their identity with food? It's okay to not do the same as what the person next to you is doing. Food is so individual. And as we are all so unique, we should be able to explore different patterns and food trends that suit us and make us feel good. Same with fitness and movement. We do not all have to move the same. Just because someone runs and absolutely loves it and you hate it doesn't mean that you should partake in running. And the biggest issue that I think I have with the health movement and the nutrition industry is that it creates these rules and boxes. Mm. It's either it's good for you or you're going to be naughty, you're going to cheat or uh, have a little bit of that like, oh, you shouldn't do that. But once in a while, it's absolutely fine. And it's too much black and white thinking. And people lose their identity because they're searching for answers with people who turn around and say, this is how you should eat. Not, well, how does it make you feel? What do you love to eat? What do you enjoy eating? And if you just focus on that, you end up organically growing your own identity in your relationship with food. Yeah, I love that. I think it's also how the food makes you feel. Mm -hmm. If you're following a particular diet and you feel rubbish, it's not sustainable. It's not going to work out for you long term and it might work for someone else, but not necessarily for that person. I would love to get your opinion on this. It's something I'm really interested in, in terms of like preventative lifestyle medicine. Obviously, obesity rates are on the rise. We are seeing an increase in incidence of so many diseases from heart disease, diabetes, even cancers, which is what I work in. And I think diet is really a component of that. Where are people going wrong with their diet? To start, I think it's lack of education in the kitchen. And I truly believe that we have this hole in our education system of teaching people how to cook mm. and not just like make a cupcake or how to make your own pizza dough, cook, properly get into the kitchen, understand food, understand how to prep, store, understand how to cook proteins, freeze things properly, make a stir fry, like even these, these little gaps in our knowledge. Like I remember going to uni and being so surprised that no one actually knew how to put together a delicious, tasty meal. And it's not like we don't just eat nutrients, we eat food. Mm. So how can we help people understand the food on their plate better? And when you love and you enjoy your food and you enjoy cooking real kind of non-processed whole foods, the physiological response that this has in your body makes it very difficult to overeat to the point where we can start to develop metabolic disorders and push into that side of obesity. Obesity is a very complex health issue because there's so many mental connections associated with it. It's not simply just, oh, well, they eat too much. It's not just about that. But if I think about tackling that obesity crisis, I honestly just think education about cooking yummy, delicious food that they want to eat is one of the most important things that we should be paying attention to. Yeah, I think, you know, when you said about the cheese roll before, 
that cheese roll that your mum made from scratch with fresh vegetables in, good quality cheese, probably good quality bread, is a completely different lunch to a shop-bought cheese roll that has a sell-by date of a week later. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that I think people get really confused on. They just label like everything is bad in that category. Bread is bad. It becomes this like umbrella of like, oh, you can't eat that. And then everyone gets obsessed over the like, the additives and the emulsifiers and the food things that we've been using and processing for ages because one slightly crazy person puts a video out on TikTok referencing one study that has only just come out that hasn't proved anything yet. And then suddenly we have this whole fear mongering and people are petrified of food and what they should be eating. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had years of one minute being told that carbs are bad and then fats are bad and then we should be intermittent fasting and then now we should be avoiding ultra processed food or red meat or we should be going vegan. And I think people really respect a professional and qualified opinion and kind of that external validation that this is what they should be eating. Mm. What would be your guidance for someone who is consuming all of this information? That's quite confusing. So try and make your diet predominantly foods that are whole, that you recognize, that are non-processed. A little creep in of an ultra-processed food from time to time is not going to damage your health in a whole diet context. And Mm. it's a bit boring. Like no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear, oh, moderation and balance. Because that doesn't sell. That stuff isn't sexy, but that is the fundamentals of health. There are obviously a few things that we know we should be more careful around our consumption for. Excessive sugar intake. So those high refined sugars in excessive amounts can be very damaging to our health. Nitrates in our food and red meat. So particularly cured meats, things like salamis, parmahans, albeit delicious. We need to make sure that we're consuming them with fiber and antioxidants. So if you're going to be having your salami in a lovely for catcher with rocket and olive oil, and again, like fresh tomatoes, those compounds in those foods can actually help negate the damaging effects, which have increased risk of colorectal cancer. It's why we can't just say, oh my goodness, cured meats increase colorectal cancer risk. I can never eat those again. Diet context is everything. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, it's like when we focus on those foods being bad, you're right, it's completely neglecting what else you're eating. Mm. If you're only eating those foods, then yes, they're bad. But if it's in the context of, like you said, a nutritionally balanced diet, then I completely agree. I'm definitely one to not demonize anything. Mm. I said to you, I think when we did an event together a few weeks ago, you know, we have some foods that are foods for nutritional value and then you have some soul foods. Always. (laughs) Like you have foods that feed your body and also foods that feed your mind. Love that. Love that. So, just touching on what you said, that people don't have a good baseline education about nutrition. I completely agree with that. I was definitely one of those people that went into university and just did not know what to cook. And I ended up freezing loads of meals that my mum would send me off to uni with. <laughs> How should people build a meal? Do you have any staples in your fridge or your pantry that are like your go-to building blocks of a nutritious meal? So I actually love to say build off colour. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because color is indicative of all of these wonderful health compounds in our food that we want to be getting more of. And I don't know if anyone has ever heard of something called polyphenols before, but I'm obsessed with them. They are incredible little compounds, which most of them we can't actually absorb. 
and they go directly to our gut microbiome where they're then metabolized. And they get metabolized into all of these kind of secondary and tertiary metabolites, which are then absorbed into the body and have amazing anti-inflammatory, antioxidant effects. They support and encourage a healthy, diverse microbiome. And we see a lot of those kind of health benefits of our diet and having high polyphenol contents in our diet throughout those populations who live the longest, who live the healthiest lives. So I love polyphenols. So color, red, dark greens. So if you're next in the vegetable aisle, look for those kind of dark, rich greens, Cavolo Nero, leafy kale, all of those things. Purple, Swap your broccoli to purple sprouting broccoli, beetroots, all of those things, oranges, so sweet potatoes, carrots, and then reds, so red peppers, tomatoes, lots of herbs and spices. Going off color is a really great way to build your meals, to almost think of it like a nature's multivitamin, I would say. And then another really, really important component of your food is your protein and your fiber. Protein and fiber is what is going to make you feel full, satisfied, balanced for longer. People don't think about how they're going to feel after their meal enough. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the biggest things that I used to do with my clients. Okay, when we're building a meal, how am I gonna feel an hour after this? How am I gonna feel two hours after this? So if you focus on making sure that you're getting good color diversity, good amount of protein and fiber in there, you can pretty much have a play around with whatever that is. And that can apply to a stir fry, that can apply to a lasagna, it can apply, apply to a bowl of oats. Mm -hmm. It's a really great, easy, simple tool to make sure that you're getting it everything that you need. Yeah, I love that. And I think one thing you touched on there is about how you feel after a meal. I completely get that because I definitely noticed that what I eat for breakfast affects how hungry I am for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Is there any science to that? Like if I eat something that's more maybe fiber rich or more filling at breakfast, more protein rich versus like a pastry. Yeah. Is there science behind why that makes me feel different throughout the rest of the day? So our bodies have different ways that we recognize that we're full, that we need to finish eating. We have something called incretin hormones. So when we eat, our stomach will expand, those expansion sensors will signal to the brain, oh, okay, like we can stop eating now, I'm full. And then all of those hormones that get produced as well also signal back to the brain saying, I'm full and stop eating. Different meal compositions will initiate different physiological responses. Mm -hmm. So if we are just going to be having a quick pan of chocolat, you may find that you're going to be starving due to that difference in the physiological response compared to a lovely big bowl of oats that maybe you put a scoop of protein powder into the protein content and topped it with fiber-rich berries, for example. I always think everyone is so unique in this. So some people do really well with a big bowl of porridge and oats for breakfast. Whereas some people really need like eggs on sourdough with avocado fruit, for example. Mm. Work out what works for you. And there's no one size fits all here. And I think that's probably why people are into this like blood sugar monitoring trend a little bit more because people are being like, oh, now I understand why I feel this way. Whereas it's not just directly correlated to the blood sugar response but it does highlight the fact that we all have very unique intervariability for the way that we respond and react to our food. I'm so glad you mentioned the blood sugar responses and the glucose monitoring. It's something that really fascinates me, similar to like what you said before about how food has an effect on your body. I think it's really interesting science and there is something in it. 
But I don't think it's necessarily transferable to everyone. So for example, if you have a piece of fried chicken or you have an apple, the apple is probably going to spike your blood glucose more than the fried chicken, but it's obviously healthier. What do you think about that? Like, do you think this is something we should all be doing and we should all be learning about or do you think it's just for select people? We do not need to be walking around with blood glucose monitors on our arm to adopt healthier, more balanced lives. Blood sugar peaks, mm -hmm. insulin release is a normal, natural human physiological response to our diet. That is our way of being able to absorb and metabolize all of the wonderful energy that we get from our foods. Blood sugar spikes are not bad. Excessive sugar intake is not good for your health. Excessive sugar intake will decrease gut microbiome strength and diversity, increase inflammation within the body. It's directly correlated to mood disorders. So having very high GI diets, diets that do cause lots of rapid and high glucose spikes, the evidence is there. But to try and compare fried chicken to an apple based on your glucose spike alone is not what we should be doing to evaluate our diet pattern. As you said, the apple contains so many vitamins, minerals, lots of water, lots of fiber. Just because it spikes my blood sugar more compared to the fried chicken doesn't mean that it's not as good for me. And I think that's what people need to get out of their heads. The fact that they can choose one thing or the other based on your blood sugar spike because there's too much misinformation, it's too much of a hot topic and it's getting the clicks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said there about, you know, the context of the wider diet, there is some of the experiments that show if you eat the sugar containing food in the context of fiber mm -hmm. with vegetables surrounding it, it doesn't cause the same spike. So it just kind of emphasizes that scientifically fiber, although it isn't in our like protein, fats, carbohydrates, boxes is a very important nutrient that so many of us are not getting enough of. Too many. And I think fiber is the one thing that I always try and tell people to not forget about. As, as I mentioned earlier, like people focus on their protein. They, they worry about hitting their protein targets, but they're not as worried about hitting their fiber targets, but it's just as important. Yeah, absolutely. Touching on protein there, you mentioned when you were talking about your oats, supplementing with some protein powder. What is your take on protein from real food versus protein supplements? So I'm always food first. Supplements are there to supplement. Mm -hmm. So if you can't get in enough or it's, it's a really useful tool to be able to add more to a meal that doesn't have a lot. So if you are able to mix a quick scoop into your oats, you're suddenly getting a 25 gram breakfast over an eight gram protein breakfast. And again, that's gonna make a real big difference to how you feel, your hunger levels in the morning, but don't just rely on supplements without addressing and thinking about, okay, how can I make sure that I'm planning and managing my nutrition properly to be able to get in every single thing that I do need? Yeah, I completely agree with that. What would be your thoughts for someone who's really busy, say they have a long commute to work or they have children they're looking after and they're a bit short of time? I find that myself that's me. Not that I have children, but I'm always on the go. And I often end up eating the same thing every day out of convenience. And yeah. because you said, you know, I know how it makes me feel throughout the day. Should we be doing that or should we be looking for diversity across the week? Diversity across the week is king. The issue is 
it is difficult. It is difficult when we do live busy lives and we're running and on the go. So you just have to kind of find what works for you. Prep is king. And I love to try and think about what I do grab and go from my favorite supermarkets or my favorite kind of prep or itsu and try and see if I can make something like that at home mm-hmm. in, in more batch. So I make these freezer-friendly frittata muffins. So I'll get loads of different vegetables, loads of different herbs. I'll dice them all up. I'll bake it into a frittata. I'll slice it. I'll pop it in between a bagel or a muffin, a bit of spinach in there, and I can wrap these and put them in my freezer. And the night before, if I know that I've got like an early morning train journey or if I'm, I'm jumping to a meeting, I'll take it out and I'll be able to eat it with my hands wherever I'm going. So try and think about eatability as well. I can mix up whatever veggies I use in that frittata to still get that diversity. Another thing is like chuck it in like overnight oats. So any sort of pot that you can literally just be like seeds, mm-hmm. yogurt, whatever fruit you want, mix the fruit up. Seeds are really, really good for you. People do not eat enough seeds. So we need to be getting in more seeds, more nuts, amazing mineral and vitamin content, really great healthy fats, really good fiber, lots of antioxidants, polyphenols too. So we love those. So just try and think about how you can take the things that work for you and just mix it up and get that diversity in where you can. But don't be afraid to go to Pret and pick up one of the little breakfast pots if you need. Don't be afraid to run to M&S and be able to just like have a grab and go option. We live in a world now where we have access to really good options. Like we can go anywhere for lunch now and go and have something that is diverse, is it's full of plants, it's full of good nutrition and we don't have to kind of stress ourselves out too much over it. So say you're walking into Pratt for lunch, mm-hmm. I do this literally every day. What would you choose? Like what would be nutritionally balanced? So again, I always try and look for the protein and the diversity. So you don't necessarily just have to get a salad, but mm-hmm. I know that if I'm going to get one of the egg mayo sandwiches, the egg is going to be like a really good source of protein. There's lots of lovely vitamins in the yolk as well. And I'll probably pair that with either, God, I haven't been to prep for so long, but I'll probably get like a fruit pot. Mm-hmm. So fruit pot, lots of fiber, again, lots of lovely diversity. I wouldn't opt for a, a sugary drink. I'd rather opt for a warm tea or water. I don't believe that we should be drinking high amounts of free sugars in drink form. Always a smoothie for me over over a juice, unless it's like a hard green juice, but that's just my preference. That doesn't mean that because I don't do it, you suddenly can't drink orange juice anymore. It's not about that, but it's just, I understand how it makes me feel and how it makes my body feel. So why is it that smoothie is better than a juice? So juice... When you juice something, you strip out all of the fiber. Yet when you make a smoothie, you still do a little bit of mechanical digestion. So you still do kind of break it all up, but you keep all of that fiber and that gut feeding fiber in there. So then the way that our body responds to it, the way that our body breaks it down and digests it is going to be different to the juices. And I think a lot of people will grab a juice thinking it's a health food, whereas... If you do want to get into the nitty gritty of it, like picking up an apple is going to be much better for you and, and, and feeding your gut than having a carton of apple juice. Yeah, absolutely. It's again, the forgotten fiber. Yeah, yeah. So as we're going into winter, you can hear that I'm full of cold. Lots of us are talking about how we can boost our immune system. You know, what supplements can we take to fight off a cold? Should we be hammering our body with orange juice and vitamin C when we've already got a cold? Is there really anything that we can eat that supports our immune system? So 
first of all, I think it's like we don't boost our immune system. We don't need to boost our immune system. We actually want a calm, chilled out immune system who's just doing its thing. We're able to recognize friend from foe and every, everyone's kind of peaceful. There are a lot of immunity supporting supplements out there on the market. It can be very overwhelming. And again, a supplement is there to be what I call a safety net. Vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, all really, really important nutrients to help support our, our immune system. But our immune system is complicated. It varies for what we need to give it. But if you're having a good, well-balanced diet, you can be pretty confident that you're getting every single thing in that you need as well. When it comes to our immune system, it's very important we also think about our gut health again. Because 70% of our immune system is actually housed around our gut. And the reason for that is the gut is kind of like a selective filter for what comes in and what stays out of our body. So if you think about how many pathogens and toxins we do not want letting into our bloodstream, it's really important that we have our immune system there to be able to say, it's basically like a bouncer. It's like, you're not coming in. Hey, vitamin, vitamin, whatever. It's like, you can come in, like you're allowed. Supporting a healthy gut barrier basically reduces that level of immune system activation within the gut. And how do we support a healthy gut barrier? Diversity and the fiber. That is king. Polyphenols as well. It just helps maintain good integrity between our gut cells of, and basically we call them tight junctions. And when the tight junctions are nice and healthy, they're nice and, and kind of stuck together, it doesn't activate that immune system. Whenever we eat, they will always loosen a little bit and our immune system will always get slightly triggered. But what we see now in the development of certain autoimmune conditions is that people ha who have impaired gut barrier function within their gut, it can trigger this like excessive opening of these tight junctions, which can overstimulate the immune system. And it's then that our immune system is unable to recognize friend from foe and it can start to attack friend. And that's where we see this triggers for things like eczema, psoriasis can all stem within the gut and having not kind of great gut barrier function. So good diverse diet, don't forget your fiber, take care of your gut health to look after your immune system. And then don't be afraid to supplement if you feel like you're too busy and you're on the go and your diet quality hasn't been there. But if you're eating well, if you're planning your meals properly and you're getting in all of the lovely things, the lovely range of color, you probably don't need that supplement. Yeah, I always think of health as like a pyramid, like at the bottom is your diet, sleep, movement levels, activity mm. levels. And then towards the top of the pyramid are these little extras like supplements, like type of training, like specific diets or whatever. Whereas people focus on the top first. They want just a quick fix. Yeah, They want to be sold something. This is going to fix the fact that I haven't slept or I'm not eating any vegetables. I can just pop a little supplement. And actually we really need to be focusing on the fundamentals at the bottom of the pyramid first. Definitely. And I the thing is with supplements, sometimes I love a little bougie supplement because it puts me into a wellness mindset, a little routine. Like I have my little golden milk tea before bed that's sort of like turmeric and ginger and I take it and I feel lovely and I'll take a fibre supplement in the morning and I'll wake up and I'll have my little ritual. It makes me feel good, but I don't believe that it's the reason why I'm healthy, if that makes yeah. sense. So supplements, I encourage people to actually explore 
for their own well-being routines, what keeps them motivated. If they take something and it makes them feel really positive, then that can only be a good thing. But if someone is overspending and feels pressure of, oh my goodness, if I don't have this supplement, I'm not going to be healthy. You don't need to get stuck in that rat race. You don't need to be spending a fortune on these complete supplement routines. Because every single week we see another video that says, yeah. take this, try this, this is what you need. This is gonna make your skin glow, this is gonna do, and it sometimes gets a little bit overwhelming, but do what makes you feel happy and good. And I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, I really love that you said that because I also take supplements, but for me, it's more like there's unlikely any harm, mm. but I know deep down that it's not gonna compensate for the weeks where my sleep's bad or I'm not exercising or my diet's a bit poor. Yeah. And I think that's the attitude that should be the attitude of most people that, it, you know, it's not going to harm. It might help a bit, but that isn't the focus. You can't undo all of the damage by just popping a supplement. No. So when we're talking about keeping our guts healthy, it's something I've been interested in. And I've seen a massive surge in the research and evidence base over the last five, six years. But I think we are still literally just skimming the surface. I think we're going to have more research coming out. But what's really trendy is this 30 plants a week number. And that's been shown in quite a robust study to be the optimal amount to support our gut microbiome diversity. But 30 plants a week sounds really overwhelming. Can you break it down and give me some examples for people listening about why that's achievable? So don't forget things like your carbs also count as plants. So if I'm going to be picking up bread, for example, so let's, let's make a breakfast together to get optimum diversity. So rather than just my fluffy white sliced bread, I'm actually going to opt for, oh, this brown seeded loaf. Like doesn't have to be anything fancy. doesn't have to be expensive, but the seeds and then the choice of grain, you've already probably got two different plants in there too. I'm going to make my scrambled eggs. I'm going to have my eggs. Why don't I put a bit of fresh basil in there and chopped spring onion? Herbs also count as your plant diversity. So get in your herbs, sprinkle them, chop them, mix them through. They make things taste amazing. You can also offer spices as well. Another part of, of diversity that we can get in there. Then to top my eggs, I'm probably going to put some mixed seeds. So I have a giant tub of like loads of different seeds. I like, do the same. They're, but they're, they're delicious as well, yeah. especially when toasted. So like pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, linseed. I'll sprinkle those over. Okay, so let's add a couple of vegetable sides now. What do I have in my fridge? Handful of cherry tomatoes, throw them in the air fryer, whack them in, leave them to do their thing. Wilt some spinach, lovely squeeze of lemon juice to optimize the iron absorption over that spinach. And then suddenly on my plate, I have like five to seven different plants on my breakfast alone. And we only need to get 30. So we're basically just under a third of the way there. So it's all the little things that you can sprinkle, chop, add that make the difference. If I'm ever making a spag bowl, I'll put courgettes, onions, peppers, carrots, celery, tomatoes, like spinach. I'll put everything in there to create these meals that are recognizable and familiar, but to optimize that plant intake. So add, add, add whatever fruit or veg you've got left in the bottom of your fridge, chop it up and whack it in because if you chop it small enough, I promise you, you won't even notice it's there. 
just felt my tummy rumble. <laughs> um, one thing I love, your whole ethos is about what we are adding into our diet. But I think for some people that have had a poor relationship with food, that's actually going to be quite a hard listen. We've spent years counting calories. Mm. I remember back in the day when I was in my macro counting gym girl era, I would literally measure out how much peanut butter I was putting on top of my oats because I was fearful that I was going to be eating too many calories a day for my activity levels. Don't get me wrong, I've never had a restrictive attitude with food, but I was always aware of the calorie content. But you haven't mentioned that. You've mentioned, you know, adding in seeds. Some people might look at those nuts and seeds and think they're very calorific, or if they're on Slimming World, they'll see them as a sin. I really love that you focus on what you're putting in. Tell me why you don't think the calories matter as much. So when you're taking something like a nut and you're taking a nut in its whole form, I love this example because let's compare peanuts. So peanut butter versus peanuts. The way that our body is able to metabolize and absorb everything in those varies from the processing method. So if I'm taking in whole non-processed peanuts, an extra sprinkle of those onto my meal, the actual energy that I can pull out of that probably is only around 70% of the total calorie amount. Whereas if I blend them and make them into peanut butter, it's probably about 100% just because we have that mechanical digestion. The more whole unprocessed foods that we eat, the less calories matter because it's not a simple A plus B equals C equation anymore. We have to think about digestion, processing how much we can extract and absorb. And it's why people who have these very kind of whole food plant-focused diets never really have to worry about calorie counting, even though they're putting in high energy density foods like the nuts and seeds, the avocados. It's because that fiber and it's because that the way that we digest and absorb all of the energy in that food isn't the same as if we had something that was refined and processed. When we think about ready meals, you see these kind of calorie restricted ready meals mm. that are 350 calories for your evening meal. But actually, there's a reason that they're low in calories is they're often lower in nutrients and maybe aren't going to make you feel as full for as long. Exactly. So knowledgeable. I'm loving this conversation. So we touched on it earlier, but it needs its own space. Ultra processed foods, taking the media by storm, really demonized at the moment. It's like it's one thing after another. And at the moment, the headlines are on that. Mm. What are your thoughts on ultra processed foods? Anything that people try and demonize in such an intense way, I'm never here for. I was on holiday a few weeks ago and you bet I was having my Diet Coke at three o'clock on the beach, popping it open and not even thinking about it. One, Diet Coke does not make me a bad nutritionist or disregard every single other thing that I do for my body. I'm gonna say it again, I know it's so boring, but moderation and balance is key. Mm. If we are making ultra-processed foods a common occurrence to our day-to-day -day diets, of course, try and think about the little swaps and changes that we make. But if there is a ultra-processed food that you love and, and you really enjoy, it can still factor in and be part of your lifestyle. And ultra-processed food can sometimes feel a bit like, oh my goodness, what even is that? But as soon as we change something, as soon as we start cooking something, we're processing things. The ultra process is where what we started with, it's so different to what we've ended with. And I would just say for people to take the side of precaution, but don't feel guilty 
if you do have them or you are like they are part of foods that you like to eat yeah. but do you have any ultra processed foods that you love pasta yeah and actually what you said before about what you add into your meals often when I'm making a pasta dish it's a night where I'm cooking from scratch and it ends up being one of the meals where I throw in loads of vegetables like mushrooms spinach peas lots of different that isn't a good recipe but I do throw in loads of <laughs> I do throw in loads of veg mm. pasta. <laughs> I, my boyfriend once put in apple and pork into a pasta it was disgusting um, I love the combination of pork and apple though. Not I, in I a see what he's doing but <laughs> not in a pasta but what my point is that my pasta dishes are often the most nutrient rich because yeah. I throw loads of things into them but pasta itself is a processed food that mm. often gets a bad rep and that's the thing like I'm so sick and tired of nutritionists and people in the health space taking foods that we love and making us feel guilty for eating them. Yeah. Pasta is not bad for you. Carbohydrates are not bad for you. Blood sugar spikes are not bad for you in the context of everything else that you're doing for your nutrition and for your body. Are you sleeping well? Are you moving? If you ever have a big bowl of pasta before you run, you literally feel like superwoman yeah. the next day. So if you're trying to train, you're trying to improve your fitness and you're tired and you're lethargic and you feel like it's just wearing you down, you need to actually think about your nutrition and getting the carbs, eat the pasta. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a whole grain lentil split pea form. It can just be white pasta and you can still be healthy. Yeah, I think one of the best things for kind of there's always room for improvement, right? But one of the best things for improving my relationship with food was running the marathon mm. because I started to think, how is this meal going to fuel my run? Mm. And I'd find myself having a bowl of pasta at four o'clock in the afternoon because <laughs> I knew th the next day I had to run yeah. 20 miles or something crazy. And it was interesting because I really got in tune with how the food is fueling me. And everyone has different activity levels. Like I think it stems back to when we're teenagers and you hear boys that are allowed a double portion of dinner because they're growing boys mm. whereas you know females are also going through massive physiological changes during puberty like we're growing we're growing boobs our hips are widening we're starting our menstrual cycle our hormones are all out of whack our entire physiology changes and we're not given that same allowance for fueling our body we're instead trying to like keep hold of our small prepubescent frames yeah it makes me sad because there's always been so much guilt and guilt language used around food. Mm. And it's why every single recipe that I create, joy is at the heart of it. Yeah. I want people to sit down and eat that breakfast, that hot girl chicken wrap or whatever I bloody call it <laughs> and sit there and think this makes me so happy. Yeah, It tastes really good and it's making me feel really good at the same time. And I'm so sick and tired of nutrition being about deprivation, rules, oh, don't eat this, this is bad for you. Oh, I'm, I'm a nutritionist and this is what I eat for my lunch. And it's a bowl of sauerkraut and leaves mm. and seeds. Like no one actually wants to eat that. No. But if I make an amazing like bagel that I put chopped chicken mix on top and I sprinkle my seeds on there and maybe I put like a bit of sauerkraut through it and I put it in an accessible form that people recognize and they want to eat mm. it brings joy back to nutrition yeah. and that is my mission to bring joy back to nutrition I know where I'm going for lunch <laughs> <laughs> <Mass>. <laughs> I know so many people listening to this will be 
really on the ball with their nutrition. You know, if they've come to this podcast, they have their own vision of health and they might be really great Monday to Friday, picking nutritious foods, working out, getting enough sleep. And then the weekend comes and they maybe, this is, you know, what they might say, go off the rails, get off the bandwagon. And then Monday comes and a lot of people have a lot of guilt, a lot of restriction. They feel like they need to, you know, get back to being healthy. What's problematic with that and how can people change that? So the binge restrict cycle is something that is increasingly more common, especially when people start to put their own rules and regulations in place. So they don't actually listen to their body from that Monday to Friday. And it's this whole balance of self-care and self-love versus self-discipline. And a lot of people, when they start a health journey, they're like, I'm disciplined, I'm on it, I'm gonna do this. And they don't nurture that slightly softer side and they don't actually listen to that voice in their head that it's like, oh, can we just slow down? Or or I really do actually want that little sweet treat. If I have a lovely big healthy lunch, then having a Cadbury's bar with my cup of tea in the afternoon on a Tuesday, a great example is actually when I always remember feeling so nervous if it was ever someone's birthday. And you go out for a pizza on a weeknight. And they go out for a pizza on a weeknight. Or they'll bring a cake into the office and you'd be like, oh my God, the sheer panic. It's just a piece of cake. It does not make you a bad person. It's not going to affect your health in a negative way. And we can get so obsessive with that level of discipline. I always encourage people to try and be the best versions of themselves But don't forget to show yourself that self-love and care that you also need. I will often wake up and not want to go to my Pilates class and I'll try everything I can do to talk myself out of it. But as soon as I do it, I feel amazing and I know it's coming from a positive place. Mm. But if I then go and it's someone's birthday in, in the office and someone's got a cake there and I say... no, I can't have that, it's Wednesday. That's not showing me balance and self-love. Of course, if it was Katie's birthday on Tuesday and you've already had like a massive slice of cake and you don't actually want one on that day, fine, you don't have to have it. Mm. But if you really do want it and it's something that makes you feel really happy, then you have to give yourself permission to do the things that you don't always think that you should be doing. Yeah. And I think it's the same, you know, if you want something sweet and you have something, if you allow yourself that whenever you feel it, you then don't find yourself eating the whole pack of biscuits. Exactly. Exactly. As soon as you actually loosen the rules, you realise how much happier and relaxed you are around food. I always thought I was someone that had to have a piece of chocolate after my dinner. And actually now I just... If I've got it in the fridge, half the time I don't even want it. Oh, I wish I was like that. <laughs> Definitely not like that. I have to have something sweet after my dinner. I've become more savoury over the years. It's a bit weird. <laughs> okay, I'm very aware I could chat to you all day long, but I have a couple of questions left. So for someone listening who may have an average diet, it's not terrible, but there is room for improvement. They don't necessarily restrict or put themselves in a box. What would be three takeaway tips that they could implement this week that would improve their diet? So number one would be add the herbs and spices. Not a lot of people appreciate that those herbs and spices are real nutrient powerhouses. 
full of vitamins, full of minerals, and also those lovely polyphenols that I mentioned earlier. And they're very easy to incorporate. So have parsley, coriander, chives, basil, all in your fridge. Not basil in the fridge, actually, it goes brown. Um, <laughs> but just chop it up and put it in your next meal. Cook with loads of those lovely spices for those gorgeous antioxidants too. Then the next one would be toppers. So always think about what you can finish your meal with. And this can be a sprinkle of seeds, a crumble of feta, a drizzle of extra virgin olive oil. Really great way to boost flavor, but also boost nutrition. As I mentioned before, the seeds are amazing source of fiber, vitamins, lovely healthy fats as well, gonna keep you full of longer. And then the third thing is that you don't have to change every single thing that you eat to overhaul your diet. That's why I love to take food and recipes that people identify with and they recognize. I make burgers, I make pasta dishes, I make Caesar salads, but I do little tweaks and changes to make them more balanced, to make them more nutritionally viable. And I think that's the most important thing. You don't have to change every single thing that you love to eat in order to become healthier. Yeah. And I can vouch that your uh, butternut squash mac and cheese is excellent. <laughs> so at the end of this podcast, I asked all our guests the same question. What is your vision of health? What does health look like to you? <sighs> when I feel like the best version of myself, when I feel brighter, when I feel energized, when I feel happy, and when I just feel calm and content around my food, I love to enjoy my food. Food brings me so much happiness. I love to cook and I love to share that with others as well. And when I have that kind of happy, harmonious, balanced feel around my lifestyle and what makes me feel good, that's when I feel my best. Thank you so much for coming on Vision of Health. I have learned so much from these conversations and from chatting to you in general. And I am positive that our listeners will have had some real takeaway knowledge bombs there. Just want to say thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Vision of Health. I hope you take away some realistic and practical health advice that you can actually incorporate in your busy lives to become the healthiest version of yourself. If you want to hear more from me, then make sure you hit the subscribe button, share this episode, and also go follow me on Instagram, at DrFrankieJS, where I post a regular series of Women's Health Wednesdays with our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh, who you can also catch on socials at FemFresh underscore UK and on their website, FemFresh.co.uk. I'll see you next time. Bye.